Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. We left off uh, last week at the very end of Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, and today we're going to begin in chapter 6, but I'm actually going to back up a little bit and read some of the other verses that we ended with. The reason is that, you know, the uh, Scripture is the inspired Word of God, but the separations are not. So really to understand where Paul's coming from in chapter 6, you have to really grasp where he came from in chapter 5. So there's a couple things I want you to kind of keep in mind. And if you have a Bible in front of you, it'd be good to, to kind of look on with me. Every translation may be a little bit different, and I will be, tonight I'll be kind of explaining some of the Greek words that are used there because it's important that you understand what Paul is trying to bring across to, to the people. The first thing I want you to remember is that Paul is writing to a fellowship of believers that he loved very much. He spent 20-some-odd months with discipling, teaching, and preaching them. He had the Father's heart for them. They were family to him, much like y'all are to me. And then secondly, that while we are reading what Paul wrote, we got to understand that the heart that Paul had for these people was the heart of the Father. And what's written is not the words of Paul, but actually it is what God would say to his children. Now, if you don't approach Scripture from that point of view, you're going to lose a lot of what God has said to you. And if you start looking at dividing Scripture up by the various authors or who they say wrote particular chapters or books, you tend to attach writings to personalities. I want to tell you something. The Word of God is the Word of God. Okay? So when you read it, you're not just reading some ancient text that was written to an ancient people by a guy who's long since gone. You're reading the Word of God to his children. And then there's two emphases also being pushed here. One Paul's, and we've talked about this before, Paul's defense of the ministry so that the message would not be dismissed. And then, Father, through Paul, and this is the picture I want to give you tonight, I want you to see the Father's heart, I want you to see him, literally his passion for these people. Father, through Paul, is begging the Christians to embrace who they are. To live the life that they've been given to live. To allow the ministry of that life to flow. He's trying to wake them up. He says, wake up, this is who you are. As we've said before, there were false teachers in the uh, fellowship of of Corinth. And they had uh, begun to gather the people to themselves for their own reasons. And their whole emphasis was to discredit Paul, and they accused him of many things. He was told him, you know, said he was a deceiver and a liar, a manipulator, 
Uh, he was in it for the money. He lived a double life. He distorted the truth. And, and he had no credentials from Jerusalem, so therefore he could not be named an apostle. And as I said last week, what they wanted to do is draw the focus from the message to the person of Paul. And that's what I was talking about at the very beginning. So if you get distracted by the personality that's writing it, then you don't see the Father's heart behind it. And that's what you really need to see in the, in the scriptures we're going to look at tonight. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12 first. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, Paul addresses all of these accusations. He responds to them by saying, It is a reason for pride and exaltation to which our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world generally and especially toward you with devout and pure motives and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, the unmerited favor and merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ, and keeps strengthening and increasing them in Christian virtue. So Paul is saying, my conscience is clear. You can make all these accusations, but my conscience, probably my harshest critic, is clear. And my motives are pure. And Paul makes it very clear as you read through that verse that the ministry is not about Paul. This is not Paul's ministry. That if there's been any effect, if there's been any, any change in the lives of these people, it's because God made them and God brought the ministry to the people. God moved their hearts and it wasn't Paul's to make or Paul's to do. And it's so important for them to realize that because if they believe that the effect was from Paul, then we got to keep Paul coming back, right? And we got to reverence the writings of Paul. Or if they believe that Paul was not who he said he was, then we've got to toss out all of the ministry and all of the message that Paul had because it was came from a faulty source. Neither is an option. What Paul wants them to see is that when I bring the word to your soul, when I bring the word of truth to you, it is from God. If it has any effect at all, it is from him. It didn't happen, as Paul said earlier in this book, it didn't happen because I was eloquent. It didn't happen because I was charismatic. Y'all need to remember where all this came from and where it started. It began by the work of God. So Paul is telling them to dismiss the distractions of their accusers and embrace the truth of Christ's ministry to them. And Paul's really begging them to get back on track, to live from Christ's life, and to quit pretending like they have life in the flesh. And really that is pretending, isn't it? It's a deception. So let's look at Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5. I want to look at verses 14 and 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. For the love... Now remember last week we talked about this... That word love is agape, and it's a love that only has its source in God. It's not man-generated. For the love, agape, of Christ controls us. And that word control, suneko, means literally to hold us together. It makes us who we are. 
It is the glue of our substance, okay? It urges us and impels us because we are of the opinion, the conviction, that if one died for all, then all died. So it is Christ's love, and we know that that love is agape love. We know that God calls himself love. And what he's literally saying is that God's love holds us together, and the life that he has held together is compelled to move forward by the same love. Urged to move forward by the same love. And I said this last week. It's, it, it is part of the natural urge just like it's in a bird to fly or a fish to swim. It's not something that they, he had to create with himself. It's not something, and please understand this, it's not something that Paul had to beg God to put in him. How about that? That'll do something for your Christianity right there. So he says... In verse 15, and he died for all so that all those who live, zao, get their life from, that's what that word means in the Greek, all those who get their life from this life might live no longer to and for themselves, for the flesh, that they might no longer live for the flesh. God sent his son to give you life, to live in such a way that you might not live any longer to your flesh. It is a completely different paradigm for life. That's what God sent his son for. We hear this in the pulpit all the time, that he sent his son to forgive you of your sins, so one day when you die, you'll go to heaven. But he came to give you life, and that life is a completely different paradigm. It, does, it is not a life contained in the flesh. It is a life that literally wears the flesh like a suit. We no longer define life according to the body. We define life according to who we are in Christ. So he came that we might have a new source of life and that we would no longer live for ourselves referencing the old flesh. Now let's look at the last two verses of chapter 5 as we make our way to chapter 6. Verses 19 and 20. It says, It was God... Personally present in Christ, reconciling and restoring the world to favor with himself, not counting up and holding against men their trespasses, but canceling them and committing to us the message of reconciliation, of the restoration to favor. So, because of what God personally presented in Christ, What God personally brought forth in Christ. Now, let me back up here. God was able to affect that in Christ because Christ embraced his obedience to the Father. God didn't force it on him. Christ embraced it. So, it's pretty much like the way he deals with us. It was God, the Father, personally present in Christ who yielded himself, reconciling and restoring the world to favor with himself. Now, people have this vision of Christ somehow being this this intermediary who explains us and our problems to God the Father who would throw a bolt of lightning at us if he had his brothers. That God the Father is this all-knowing God who cannot even tolerate us. 
That's not it at all. That's not it at all. God literally created a way for us to have a life, and not just any life, a life that is in union with Himself, a life that was literally created to know Him, and to be able to receive what He most wants to give us, that is His love. Christ facilitated the love of God, because He shared the love of God. Well, because of the restoration, (laughs) I don't like the word restoration. Reconciliation is the word. This is uh, the Amplified's uh, rendition of it. He didn't restore us as human beings to a better human being. He restored man's original favor with God, okay? Man's original purpose, if you want to put it in its proper context. He restored man's original purpose. So we are now... Because of what Christ did, we are, so we are Christ's ambassador. God making his appeal, as it were, through us. We, as Christ's personal representatives, beg, parakaleo is the word there, and he's going to use it again. We make a passionate appeal. We beg, we exhort you for whose sake? For his sake to lay hold of the divine favor. Now offered you and be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made Christ virtually to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in and through him, we might be viewed or might become, and that word in the Greek means to come into existence from nothing. That's what it means. He didn't paint you with a bucket of righteousness. You literally became righteous. Endued with, viewed as being in, and examples of the righteousness of God. What we ought to be approved and acceptable and in right relationship with God by his goodness. You see, we see the heart of the Father through Paul. And Paul's making it clear who is, who is begging for them. It's not Paul begging for them. Who's begging for them? It's the Father. It's the Father. God making his appeal, as it were, through us. Pericleo. Now, how in the world do we ever let the enemy convince us that there's some separation? How do we let him convince us that somehow God is being a little standoffish with us today? Because we didn't get it exactly right. God's not going to speak to us. Do you see the heart of... There was never a more carnal bunch in there were in, in, in Corinth than there was at Corinth. These people have been involved in all kinds of things. And what you have here, the Greek picture you have here, is that God, righteous God Almighty, is literally begging them. And what is he begging them for? Is he begging them to straighten up and fly right? Behave? Is that what he's begging them for? No, what he's begging them for is to live, to live in the reconciliation that he has provided. Own it. Live in it. He's not demanding perfection. He's not begging them to get it right so that he can draw closer to them. He's not going to get any closer to them. Through Christ, he's literally in union with them. He's not begging them to get it right so that he can bless them. They've already received every blessing in Christ Jesus. He's not begging them to get it right so that he can literally make them better Christians. They are as good as they are going to get. They have the fullness of Christ. They are complete in him. What he is 
is doing is he's begging them to set aside the distraction, to set aside the lies, to set aside the deception, to set aside the living according to the flesh, and embrace the fullness of this reconciliation. So you know what the picture is like this. You come up to someone and shake their hand. That's one. You come up to somebody and kind of give them the half, half hug. That's another thing. You come up to somebody and you kind of give them a side hug. That's something else altogether. But it is completely something different to run at them and give them a full body slam, embrace and kiss. That's what God's begging for. We got that picture from the prodigal. That's your father. That is Abba God. That's what he created you for. And that is why his heart is broken with these people. That's why Paul is begging. This is God's desire to share in your life. Because he gave it to you. That he might fulfill his character in you. Do you know God wants to fulfill his character in you? His love is his character. God doesn't need us. I know you may hear that. We need you out there on the mission field. Need you to give your money. Need you to do this. God does not need a single one. But he passionately desires everyone. That's the difference. He wants us to live according to his favor. Now that means to live in his pleasure, not gain his acceptance. Okay? To be reconciled, that means to live up to how you're made. This is not about God being reconciled to man. When you come into the New Testament, that ends. The New Testament is about man being reconciled to God. Because Jesus paid it all. Paul says that we are Christ's ambassadors. And that means we're not our own. We do not live for ourselves as the world defines self. We are, get this, we are the living appeal of God the living ministry of Christ. We are made to live for His pleasure. We are the expressions of righteousness. That is, those who stand in the pleasure of God, who live in His favor. Can you see yourself that way? You don't just stand in His presence, you stand in His pleasure. (laughs) You know that you can't separate grace and favor. But I know plenty of pastors that seem to try to teach that. You can't separate grace and favor. And we live in the fullness of His grace. And we live in the fullness of His favor. And that's what God's begging you for you. I want you to live in the fullness of my favor. I, I, my favor is with you. I want you to embrace it. I want you to own it. Now let's look at uh, chapter 6. I'm only going to go through the first two verses. Verse 1. And this is continuing on from, from what we just read laboring together as God's fellow workers with them, then we beg you not to receive the grace of God in vain, that merciful kindness by which God exerts his holy influence on souls and turns them to Christ, keeping and strengthening them. Do not receive it to no purpose. For he says, verse 2, for he says, in the time of favor of an assured welcome... I have listened to and heeded your call, and I have helped you on the day of deliverance, the day of salvation. Behold, now 
is truly the time for a gracious welcome and acceptance of you from God. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now, I've heard those two verses twisted every way you can imagine. And if you take a man-centered perspective of these two verses, they're they're going to say something totally different than what God intended. Let's look at verse 1. Continuing from where Paul was, he says, laboring together as God's fellow workers with him. Then we beg of you not to receive the grace of God in vain, that merciful kindness by which God exerts his holy influence on souls and turns them to Christ, keeping and strengthening them. Do not receive it to no purpose. First, now it's it's real easy to see that there. this is a continuation. There shouldn't be any separation there, right? So Paul appeal, Paul's appeal continues from chapter 5. He says, be reconciled, Christian, laboring together. Okay? Paul is not just speaking of the Corinthians. He is speaking of the body of Christ. The picture here is the, the body of Christ acting in concert towards the will of God here. That's the picture he's painting. All right? This is not about work. This is about unity. This is about the collective life of Christ in one body. I know it's been used to try to get everything in the world done, but that is not what it's about. Laboring together as God's fellow workers. Now, I want to say this. The work, again, the work emphasis is not Uh, work. It's unity, the unity of his life. Translators actually added in him in order to be consistent with the context, but in him is not in the original language. But you really don't need it. If you understand what the the whole context of those verses are, you, you don't need it. You know it's about in him. It wouldn't happen without him. That's the context. And he says, we beg, implore you. Now, this is the same Greek word that Paul used in verse 20 of chapter 5, parakaleo, to make a passionate appeal, to exhort. Paul uses the same word. You know why? Because it's the exact same appeal. 5.20 and 6.1 is the same appeal. Look at that. He says, Paul begs, or in truth, he appeals on behalf of the Father, to lay hold of the divine favor and be reconciled to him. Then in verse 1 of chapter 6, the same urgent plea to live out his work in you so that his grace towards you will not be in vain. Be reconciled so that you may be active in the body of Christ in union with his will. Okay? Now, why is that? Because God needs every man pushing? No. So that you can literally be a part of what God is doing and be affirmed in the work. And listen, work is not what you think. The work of God, your body's working right now. I won't even go into detail, but it's working, okay? And you're sitting. But you've got another definition of work in your mind. But the body is constantly at work. That work is part of the life of that body. If it stopped working, where would it be, right? And when he says laboring together, literally he's talking about the activity of God that you are entering into 
that calls for a functioning body and literally affirms you in the truth that you are part of that body. Again, we're talking about being in him. We're talking about the unity of his life. Verse 1 is the same urgent plea. And he says, to live out his work in you. What does that mean? Well, we live from the inside out as Christians. So that his grace towards you will not be in vain. Now, what does Paul mean there? It's not about salvation. If you've heard that, stop listening to whoever said it. It's not about salvation. The question we ask is, how can we waste grace? First notice in verse 1 that we are receiving his grace. This is ongoing. That's already there. Read verse 1, you'll see it. We are receiving his grace. And guess what? It is not conditional, as some would suggest. The question is, how is this grace being received? And I kind of think of the parables of the talents. The issue is not what we do for God, but does the grace of God find its full expression in the manifestation of Christ's life and ministry? Or is it just part of your living your temporal life with some help and then off to heaven? Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.